Will. Yeah? Before we begin, I have a bit of scripture for you. Okay, I'm a Catholic, so I only kind of know scripture, but I'll give it my best shot. This is from the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 24 through 26. And I really don't know my Old Testament. Again, I'm a Catholic. This is the New Revised Standard Version. Well, that's not even a Catholic Bible. I don't even know which one that is, to be honest. It's what showed up first at BibleGateway.com. All right. On the way, at a place where they spent the night, the Lord met him and tried to kill him. Met who? Moses, I believe. I'm sorry, what now? Uh, yes. But Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Truly, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. The word of our Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Wow. Why was that not in the Prince of Egypt? (laughs) It's during a part that is covered in the Prince of Egypt, too, is the best point. Part. Because it's on his way back from Midian to Egypt. Yeah, so they should have done the scene where God tries to kill him, but then Zipporah chops off the kid's uh, tip. Maybe it was in one of the montages. (laughs) It was probably one of the montages. (laughs) Superimposed over something else. Let's be really clear. All of the romance in this movie is done via montage. (laughs) Every single part of it. There are not five montages either, so I don't know what our plan is. (laughs) We'll find out. That was up. To our guests to determine. Thankfully, not our problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely one of the uh, Bible passages that doesn't get brought up in uh, church or school very often. No, I had no idea until I saw it on Zipporah's Wikipedia page. Yeah, so I'm guessing that the issue is just that the kid was not previously circumcised? I mean, we can assume that he was previously uncircumcised, well, yes, which but <laughs> does seem to be a problem. <laughs> I'm assuming that's the reason that God was going to kill Moses. I just have no idea but looking into it i realized no one has any idea what this passage means so i do feel in better company i mean though like if god was going to kill moses can't he just do it how, how was there time for Zipporah to stop god <laughs> i mean that happens a lot of times in the old testament where it's like god announces that god is going to do something <laughs> but then people have reaction time it doesn't seem like god is moving at instant speed which is just further proof that god is a gay does it for the drama <laughs> The only case in which I will grant that to you is the whole sacrificing Isaac thing, which is clearly just a cry for attention. (laughs) Somebody follow me, I'm distraught. (laughs) Sometimes when you get upset that you're being ignored, you have to take dramatic action to regain your rightful place in the sun. Look, just because in this movie God appears as a giant flaming pillar... Doesn't mean that God is looking for attention. He's also a burning bush. That bush looks awesome in this movie. But it looks really cool. We can say God is flaming. Yes, that is literally true. (laughs) Um, What's funny is I don't think this foreskin story (laughs) is in any Exodus adaptation that I've ever seen. (laughs) I can't imagine why. It feels like this is one of those things that's been told over and over again, and they're always looking for a new perspective, and I think this could be the new perspective that gives us a new idea. Mm. Because somehow Charlton Heston didn't do that scene in the Ten Commandments. It really leaves it wide open for someone else to grab onto. Wait, oh my god. Completely unrelated, but back on the Zipporah <laughs> Wikipedia page, apparently- Wait, Zipporah has a Wikipedia page? Yeah, apparently oh. the cosmetic store Sephora is named after her? Oh is my it? god. Apparently. <laughs> All right. It's biblical. I can shop there. <laughs> it's like when my uh, a friend of mine back in high school asked her mom to get her Hollister clothing, and her mom got her Holy Star. Is that a thing? Apparently, she oh found the Christian version. I love those like Christian T-shirts that are like designed to look like the slogans of cool companies, but are actually like redone with like Christian slogans. I had some of those. <laughs> 
I currently have many of those. I definitely don't. I just remember there was one that I saw one time that was like a Mountain Dew logo, and I don't know what it said, but it was the like Christian Mountain Dew, which wasn't a thing I knew we needed. <laughs> Wait, Mark, which was the best one that you had? A breadcrumb and fish. Mm-hmm. What is that? No, no. Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> all right, all right. Guys, Mall of Georgia had some wild kiosks. <laughs> oh, I love it. Josh? Oh, what's my favorite? Oh, God. Um, oh, sorry. God. It's going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> uh, see, okay, there are a lot of things that I've blocked out of my past. All right. This movie's like one of the few things that has snuck through. The shirts did not. Alright, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But, yeah, I feel like we've said nothing and yet have already clearly given the tone that this entire episode is going to take. This movie rules. Amazing film. Can't wait to talk about it. Beautiful. But I feel like we should just get things moving so that we can talk about it. Yeah, I am ready. Let's do it. It's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation or if it just appears in, like, two montages. We're going to dig in and see what's there. And as we uh, have kind of suggested already, this week we are continuing our ongoing coverage of the DreamWorks Animation Library with the first animated movie DreamWorks put into production, 1998's The Prince of Egypt. Arriving on the scene only three years before the seminal classic Shrek, the Prince of Egypt sets a much different tone from future DreamWorks films. Well, it was the first one that went into production, but it was the second one to come out because Ants took less time to make. Oh god, I forgot about Ants. We're gonna do it at some point. I've never seen Ants. We can't do it. It's a Woody Allen film. Yeah. But we have this DreamWorks commitment. (laughs) Can we at least talk about how the Ants had strangely chiseled jaws? I've never seen ants. They had strangely chiseled jaws. I believe you, but I've never seen ants. There was not a lot of jaws in this movie, I will say. (laughs) I feel like the face and the neck kind of molded together on most of these characters. Well, what I love in particular about the Egyptians is that they all look kind of like serpentine. (laughs) Particularly um, the queen. Yeah, where because she has this played like long Mirren. neck. Yeah, played by Helen Mirren. She has this long neck and this big hair, and when she's moving, it looks like a king cobra. My first note is Moses' Egyptian's mom neck is so long. And then I followed that with she's so long. Wow. Because I think they're trying to recreate the style of like actual Egyptian art. art. And so she doesn't look like a person at all. She has this neck that's like twice as long as her face. And her body doesn't really extend much out past the neck. But it is cool how the Egyptian characters do kind of reflect that. A yeah, lot of times I think it's we great. see them on a weird slant. You can see their heads from the side the way that it would appear on Egyptian artwork. And it's cool seeing that deliberately. I last night stumbled across this treasure trove of concept art for this movie. Yes. It looks awesome. And I'm going to share that on the social media so that other people can similarly spend a bunch of time at work looking at these beautiful paintings and character drawings from the Prince of Egypt. This movie is so beautiful. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. Every shot is so well-crafted. Yeah. And that's actually nice because it is a really lovely movie to look at. The performances are great. And that really worked out 
I think, for all of us, because if you were in any kind of religious education in the late 90s or the early 2000s, you saw the Prince of Egypt a lot. Oh boy, did you. Yeah, it was just a staple piece of entertainment. So to help us out this week, we brought in my good friend Josh, king of the missionary kids. Hello, that king of the missionary kids. That's me. Hi. (laughs) So Josh, tell us why you were so determined to be on our Prince of Egypt episode. Well, um... (laughs) As Will has said, I am king of the missionary kids. Uh, my parents are currently missionaries uh, serving overseas, Southern Baptists. What? what? And uh, actually, where I grew up in South America, in Suriname, when this movie came out, there was a movie theater that solely played this movie. On, like, multiple screens? Uh, no, no, no. One screen. Okay. Just, like, one big room. But it didn't stay in business long, because... One movie is not really how you should Wait, have what's the time on? frame for only playing this movie? Are we talking like for a month after it came out? Are we like, talking like for like a good year? <laughs> and then suddenly the movie theater closed and became a casino? As the Lord intended. As God was in that movie theater. Oh man. Well, maybe that contributed something to this movie's international box office, which was pretty impressive. They made it for $70 million, which at the time was the most expensive animated film made. Which you can see you can see it in the, the animation quality is so the animation high. the performances it's all there so like it's cool to see something that could have been a boondoggle you read any of the coverage of this from the time and it's all like you know people are trying to uh start up their own animation studios like warner brothers is trying to get one going with this iron giant thing uh <laughs> which by the time iron giant came out warners had already shut down their animation studio <laughs> that movie did not perform well at the time right and so there's all this stuff where they're like people are trying to make it work and like dreamworks i guess is gonna make something happen and they had katzenberg from disney but it was this big kind of question mark and then it made a lot of money yeah i mean if you just read the cast list alone i would have been brought in to see this movie (laughs) oh totally (laughs) without knowing anything about it we've got a val kilmer batman himself as moses we have jeff goldblum (laughs) as jeff goldblum and by that i mean aaron giving a complete (laughs) jeff goldblum performance sandra bullock at the height of her 90s fame helen mirren ray fines whose overarching theme in the 90s seems to be ray fines plays characters who don't like juice Wow, yeah, (laughs) that's very true. Uh, Patrick Stewart also is great as uh, the Pharaoh Seti. Yes. Yeah, and I feel like there's a. who else? Oh, oh Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer! Michelle Pfeiffer and then uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. Yeah. As yeah. the mm-hmm. and Hoda. So yeah, this movie has a, a gangbusters cast. And on top of that, it had Jeffrey Katzenberg steering the ship, who had played a big role in the revitalization of Disney animation before he left in a huff to found DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Young. leave anywhere. Sorry? In a huff. And this was actually a project that he had talked about doing at Disney. He wanted to do an animated adaptation of the Ten Commandments. And so when the SKG guys were sitting around and trying to come up with some ideas for projects to go forward with, Spielberg was like, oh, you should do that Ten Commandments movie. And so they wound up putting it together. It was directed as so many animated movies, especially DreamWorks movies, are by multiple people. Uh, It was directed by, in part by Brenda Chapman, making her the first woman to direct a studio animated feature. She later became the first woman to kind of direct a Pixar movie when she kind of directed Brave and then left because she couldn't get along with the leadership in charge of Pixar, who she didn't think were uh, great at working with women. Who could have seen that coming? (laughs) Wow, that's so surprising. Also on board were Steve Hickner, who has worked on a lot of other DreamWorks movies since, but the only other movie he directed is a Heart of Podness fave, The (laughs) B-Movie. 
Uh, and the third guy was Simon Wells, who had done a bunch of Amblin animation movies like Fievel Goes West and We're Back, the dinosaur movie. What? I haven't even heard of that. We're Back is a movie about dinosaurs showing up in the present. And I think maybe the future? It's a very strange movie. I haven't even heard of that at all. I only know of it as like, here's this weird Amblimation movie that doesn't exist anymore. Huh. We should watch it. We should watch it. I'd be down. Um, Like I said, the movie was a pretty big hit. It came out the weekend before Christmas. It was a global opening all at the same time. They were like, eh, it's Christmas. Everyone's going to go to the movies. And like, tail end of Hanukkah? I don't know. But they were really insistent that like people from lots of religions were going to be primed to go to the movies at this time. So it wound up making about $100 million domestic, about $100 million abroad. So pretty good. Yeah. It was only banned in three countries. Which three? It was banned in Malaysia. Egypt and the Maldives, because you're not allowed to have depictions of prophets of Islam. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. But they did do a lot of work to try to make this as respectful of different religions as possible. They brought in religious scholars from all the Abrahamic religions. They brought in Arab American scholars to look at the movie, offer feedback. And of course, then there's the disclaimer that the movie starts with, which was really surprising to me. Yeah, I obviously I didn't remember that because I barely remembered anything about this movie, but it was a surprise. Yeah, before the movie starts, this disclaimer shows up that says, the motion picture you're about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story. While artistic and historical license has been taken, we believe that this film is true to the essence, values, and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. So it's kind of like, we did our best, we took some license, if you want the Bible, go read the Bible. Which is, you know, the understanding of movies... Like, that's how people should think of movies, but they did have to make it explicit for this one, I feel. Right, and I do think it starts people who are potentially, like, very religious and are wary of those kinds of changes. It starts them off being like, we're gonna be okay. Yeah, I mean, they had to cut some things for time, such as Zipporah (laughs) impromptu circumcising her son in an inn. Yeah, this movie's like 90 minutes and somehow they don't have time for the circumcision scene. So, should we start moving into the romantic plot? Because I feel like most people should know the general plot of the Exodus, even if they haven't seen the movie. Um, there are just a couple of other things that I want to hit. Like, for example, um, should we talk about the music of this movie? How gorgeous it is. How perfect it How is. amazing. Yeah, so the music has original songs by Stephen Schwartz and the score by Hans Zimmer. Mm. All of which are terrific. Yes. Zimmer is a guy who is really good at scores, but also does so many that you kind of take him for granted. Yeah. And it's cool to see something like this where his score serves the story so well. I really like his animated work in general. He did Lion King 2, which is an awesome score. I haven't seen that movie in so long. All I remember is it's Romeo and Juliet with lions instead of Hamlet. Lion King 2? No, I, he did Lion King as well. Oh, I thought you meant... <laughs> Excuse I me. And I both thought you meant, oh, Lion King 2. Because I was sitting here like, yeah, you Penny's a great movie. That's a great song. Yeah, no, uh, he did as well. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I only remember Elton John's role in the music of Lion King. Which is great. The other fascinating thing about the music for this is that that was only one soundtrack that they released. There were also two other Prince of Egypt soundtracks. There was the Nashville version, which is a bunch of country singers singing music either from the movie or also inspired by the Book of Exodus. And there was the inspirational version, which was the same thing, but with Christian artists. Hey, you milk this dying cow. And they did. Yeah, they got their money's worth out of that. 
What I did like, what I did read is that the woman who plays Moses's actual mother. Yes, when, I know where you're going with this. When she sings, when she sings in the beginning and sings in Hebrew and sings her like, "My son, I'm going to put you in the river." She sang that on like all the different language versions. She too. sang it like, in seventeen, 17 languages. Different yeah. languages, like, and I was like, "Okay, girl, hey, that's." ridiculous and bitch was getting her coin is all i'm saying (laughs) yeah i didn't even think about that part of it (laughs) should we bring in translators no 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 you're just gonna pay me more thank you it's a beautiful lullaby too it is it's really nice every song in this movie is so beautiful though they're all great real quick what are your favorite songs in this movie well like just in terms of songs themselves uh, yeah song uh uh uh, the the lullaby hash not my baby and and especially when it's reused again when uh miriam's like trying to appeal to moses please you're our brother hash and like just the way the wind blows across her face and 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 really it's just like oh like throw back to the mother but then of course back to the hey dramatic gay um playing with the big boys <laughs> in terms of like musical quality it's obviously not the best but the song that the high priests sing where they like name all the gods and then do all the drama i'm here for it <laughs> see that's the one where, shenanigans that's the one i like the least because that's the one where i'm just like this feels like a lesser villain song <laughs> it's like watching shiny in moana we're just like knew you were we could get rid of this and change nothing yeah, obviously, but it's Steve Martin and Martin Short, so you have to give them a song. That is true. Yeah. No, all I ever wanted is a banger. It that is. song that rules. That song is just like, and then the reprise with his mother. Yeah, oh, it's great. Well, um, Stephen sure. Schwartz wrote that song while sitting in an Egyptian temple in the middle of the night because they like got in after all the tourists were gone. And I feel like that just, like, adds a little bit to it. Top ten places to write. And then, obviously, there's Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston (laughs) singing There Can Be Miracles. Which won an Oscar. Yeah, obviously. an Oscar. What other songs would have won? That song should have egotted by itself. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what other songs that there would have been up for in 1998. I'll Google it. The other, only other Oscar nomination this movie got was for original comedy slash musical score, because that used to be split the score categories into comedy and drama. And they got nominated for that, but did not win. They lost to Shakespeare in Love, the runaway train of the 1998 Oscars. What year did this come out? 98. Oh, so it's the 99 Oscars. Yeah. Okay. It was saying, it was My Heart Will Go On. And I was like, uh... We should do that movie. (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen it, but I've got the Blu-ray. What's amazing to me is that even on DVD, Titanic still needs two discs. So, like, I bought the four-disc Blu-ray edition, like, DVD-Blu-ray combo, and two of the discs are movie part one and movie part two, because that movie is so long. Isn't that just part of the appeal? I have not it's seen it, be, so I, I mean, don't know. It's gotta be, like, part of the, 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 the nostalgia, like, this used to be in two VHS tapes, now it's in two DVD. I yeah. love those double VHS boxes, although they always signaled to me, don't watch this! <laughs> Okay, so the other nominees for the 1999 Oscars, besides When You Believe, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. Yo, also a DreamWorks movie, I think. That one or Deep Impact, one of them is. (laughs) The Prayer in Quest for Camelot. Oh, speaking of weird non-Disney animated movies. Great film. I love that. I have no recollection of it. I rewatched it when I was in like middle school, and the only thing I remember about it is that it's like... 60 minutes long <laughs> it is so short i have no recollection of it i know i saw it in theaters i suspect it does not hold up i'm pretty sure i owned that like as a kid on what format unclear like vhs it feels like it was dvd but like bootleg dvd again i lived in south america there was a lot of that 
there's a theater that only plays <laughs> the Muppet Muppet I kept, I'm still blown by that fact. <laughs> it showed it for a year? Like, at the least. Because I went multiple times to see it. Uh, the other two songs. Oh, you're right, There were five. Um, a Soft Place to Fall from the classic film we all remember, The Horse Whisperer. Oh. I have no idea what that is. We all need a soft And then the last one is That'll Do in <laughs> Babe, Pig in the City. Music and lyrics by Randy Newman. There's a That'll Do song? <laughs> Apparently by Randy not, Newman. I have not seen Babe, Pig in the City. I uh, did not know there was a song. I think I have, but... I don't remember. Guys, there's like 50% chance I end this episode with that song and not anything from Prince of Egypt. <laughs> but you would be depriving everyone of the Prince of Egypt. But there's a That'll Do song, apparently. <laughs> we do need to listen to it at some point. Oh, man. Not right now, though. So now do we want to talk about the romance? <laughs> okay, so as you guys should know, we always break the romance into five points. Blah, blah, blah. Josh? We ignore anything that's not romance. So uh, obviously, of so course. there's like a plague or a divine being <laughs> or some Egyptians in this movie, we're not going to talk about them. Or the most sci-fi depiction of the Hebrew god I've ever seen. It's so cool. It's so cool, but it's so purple and like elvish magic from a fantasy novel. That's the thing. This is like structured like a genre movie. It is. Which I think is why it's so good. I think it's part of what makes it work is that if you are somebody who is like a Christian or a Jew or whatever and like you believe this, then it's there for you. It takes it very seriously. And if you're not, you're like, take it as seriously as as Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You accept the rules of this universe and the rules in part are God wins. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he always? He stacked the game. All right. So, Josh, <laughs> as our guest, you are in charge of our five points. Yes. Yes. So it's going to be your job to lead us through. So why don't you start us off with the first point of the Prince of Egypt? Yes. Yes. Um, I do have to give a little bit of background. I mean, like, if you've seen the movie, you love it. If you've read the Bible, you, you love it. But we have, I feel And like, if you haven't, you're going to hell. Actually, look, I think that's actually what the Bible does actually say. But you, we have to, like, frame Moses, uh, uh, the character of Moses. Moses does not need to be framed he again. Does, he does He now. has been framed for enough things. Because, actually, he did do it, so he That's true. Framed. He did kill the guy. <laughs> I don't think he was ever framed for anything. <laughs> Nothing. He just he, ran. He did, I guess he did kill the guy, and he didn't circumcise his son. So <laughs> So that's two for two. That's all I had to save him for that one. Like, yeah. All right. Leave it to mind. the wife to have to clean up her husband's oh, mess. This is barbershop all over again. <laughs> yeah. You know, telling your husband that dealing with a loan shark isn't smart business. Making sure your husband isn't killed by God for not circumcising your son. Classic Hollywood wife stereotypes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Always having to clean up. Mm. Point B. <laughs> So it's going to be three hours. <laughs> the, after, the, after they uh, frame the uh, 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 Israelites, the Jewish people being slaves in Egypt, after they frame this and Moses going in the basket in the river to uh, be uh, found by uh, Pharaoh's wife, it immediately... Uh, He's got a little note from Dumbledore explaining who he is. <laughs> she didn't even leave her note. Like, come on. Like, at yeah. least your, your, your sister died. Here's her baby. Like, that would have been helpful. She gets nothing. <laughs> but then the movie immediately frames uh, 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 Moses as this bad boy. Well, yeah, I mean, the movie the, sold the, it as, like, an action story. You look at the poster, it's, like, Moses rearing up on a chariot. They were trying to get people in with, like, an almost Ben-Hur kind of deal. So, like, you get uh, 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 the two princes of Egypt, R- Ramses and, and and Moses, who are very much actually kind of framed like like the uh, 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 the uh, the royals, the Harry and what's his name? 
The the unattractive. Are you talking about real people? Yes, I don't know anything about the royals. (laughs) Oh, William. Yes, thank you. You said Harry and 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 I wanted to say Styles. (laughs) Yeah, they're just a rambunctious pair of guys having a good time in ancient Egypt. What it says is like you have the crown prince Ramses and then his younger brother, the the hot, cool one, where they're immediately in a chariot race like through the streets of Egypt. Like this is beautiful. Like I wrote down like, ooh, the Bible is hella sexy because it's what the movie gives us. They are very dumb, though, (laughs) because they're riding two horse chariots on very poorly constructed wooden scaffolding. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of Aladdin rules. (laughs) It is. Things only break when they need to for the plot to move forward. But it's fun. It's a thrilling sequence. The nose breaking off the sphinx. Yes. (laughs) Maybe one of the earliest examples of DreamWorks copying a Disney movie. Hercules had made a joke about the nose of the Sphinx falling off only one year before. (laughs) Gotta start a trend somewhere. I don't care how many times I see it. I love that trope, okay? It's stupid. It's schlocky. But it's great. It gives right, us so anyways, to questions. Point so being. Moses and Ramses are like rambunctious little scamps. Two wild and crazy guys. <laughs> You're just and hanging out. Patrick Stewart is like, you guys are out of control. Clean up your mess, kids. And so then Moses is like, yo, Patrick Stewart, just like give Ramses a chance. Like give him some uh, some responsibility. Yeah. And Patrick Stewart is all like, no, because if he's weak, then Egypt will fall apart. Uh, he specifically says you will not be the weak link in the chain because that comes back a lot. Right. It's a nice symbol for this movie mm-hmm. because the ch- I mean the chain of the dynasty, but it's also one that's built on the chains of slavery. Mm. Mm. Thank you, thank you. So deep, so wise. That's why I'm here. Film critic will man. <laughs> this film, for what it's worth, does not have a scrap plot. Although they tried, they said that they kept trying to bring in like cute animal sidekicks. Like they tried to have like a goofy camel or like cute sheep, and they're like, every time we do this, it just makes it seem like we're making too many jokes about Exodus, and it doesn't work. They do work in just enough silly camels because camels are always a great like goofy animal. That's because camel- camels are fundamentally goofy because they're just fundamentally ridiculous beings. So, like, you get Moses getting pulled out of the sandstorm by a camel thinking his hair is grass. Right. Little touches like that. But I think if there was going to be a tangled level horse companion that basically talks, it would not have worked. (laughs) No. That disclaimer would have been a lot more important. Yes, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, So anyway. so Bringing us to our first point. After the whole dressing down by Patrick Stewart, uh, uh, Ramses is named the uh, cr- uh, Prince Regent. Prince Regent of the uh, temples or something, temple reconstruction. And then, as a gift to him, the two priests are like, yo, we found this point one. And by the way, in the midst of this, Ramses is given this promotion and almost immediately is like, yo, Moses, you're my number two. Exactly. He's like, Moses, you're with me here. Moses is named the royal chief architect, which I was like, has Moses gone to school for that? <laughs> Does he really know how to build? Literally, I said nepotism if I've ever seen it. Yeah. I mean, kind of the way it goes here in uh, ancient <laughs> Egypt. So anyway, then uh, the Point priests, Hoi and Hodep, Steve Martin and Martin Short. The two uh, priests bring in this Midian girl. Can we just girl smush them together and call him Steve Martin Short? <laughs> Steve Martin Short. <laughs> bringing this girl on a camel she's she's like on the camel in the middle of this party and they're like this is our gift to you Ramses uh, for promotion to temple regent like she's a slave on a camel not even apparently even for a reason that they stole her they're just like oh we have this Midian girl I mean, that we wanted, part to of their on ongoing we wanted to have on hand practice of slavery exactly she's like I, she wasn't a Jew but like hey we'll keep her just in case uh, so Zipporah tries to bite Ramses the Midian girl her the name Midian is Zipporah the Midian girl Zipporah you, you know the one that circumcised the child Sephora. <laughs> 
<laughs> purveyor of cosmetics. She tries to bite Ramsey because, I mean, that's what you do. She's spunky. She's got spirit. She, she's, like, fighting back. She's an independent woman. And so then Ramsey's, like, trying to, like, screw around with Moses. He's like, ah, oh, you know what? Like, Moses, I'm giving her to you. And Moses is like, oh, you shouldn't have. But, like, of course he's like... What's he gonna do? Refuse the prince regent? So, Zipporah is so spunky that she pulls the rope that's holding her arms tied away and starts waving it around, whipping at people. And Moses grabs it and, like, she's trying to pull, pull, let me go. And he's like, as you wish, there's a pool of water behind her. See, because Moses does let people go (laughs) and his brother doesn't. Just gonna let that sit for a second. Mark does this once a week. (laughs) Welcome to my hell. (laughs) So... After this. <laughs> point being, point being, at that moment, uh, she's all wet, and, like, this is when Ramsey's like, you're my number two, and he's like, take this woman to Moses' chambers. And as they walk, as she's being led away, they share a look, Moses and Zipporah, where she's obviously very angry and is like, how dare you? And he's got this kind of guilty, like, I'm so sorry I humiliated you in front of everybody kind of look, because, you know... He's a bad boy with a heart of gold. He doesn't want to hurt the slaves. He just wants to continue to live his entire lifestyle. And really ignore everything about the slavery. And so what happens is then he gets back to his chambers that night and he sees the silhouette of somebody on the bed. Mm -hmm. He's ready. Looking fine. Yeah, he's like, all right, let's go. I'm going to take advantage of this person that I am claiming ownership over. Like, time. Like, this is where the romance really starts. And he pulls back the curtain and she's gone. What? Who is it? It's some, like, attendant. Tied up. Yeah, it's a tied up guard. Where where the silhouette that should have been her her, uh, breasts were his elbows. Because of the way his arms are tied. It was beautiful. Like, this is just framing. Like, this is back to the artship of the the movie. Just... The hardship. You heard me. <laughs> so then he looks out the window and he can see her scooching away in the darkness with a with camel. With her camel. Side note, was the camel with her in the bedchamber? Because there were sheets tied that she climbed out of the window. Who keeps a camel outside the crown, the, the second prince's bedroom? Point being, the camel was with her in the bedroom. I'm I saying. would really like to watch this movie. Like, everything is the same. Steven Schwartz is abusing. <laughs> But it's Zipporah's story, so like how she got captured, how she actually got out of the room and got her camel. That'd be cool. Her That'd journey be back to Midian. and Only if it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. That'd be a good movie. I would watch that. I know. It, like, legit, I think that would be very fun. Yeah, it'd be better than the uh, prequel they made, which is just okay. Um, there was a prequel? They made this? a direct-to-DVD prequel called Joseph King of Dreams about Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> and it, like, went into production while this was still in production. So officially, it's, like, the same team, but it is not as good as this movie. Fun fact, we also owned that movie. Sometimes I forget that in the Bible, it is not called Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> No, it's just the coat of many colors. I think of it exclusively as Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. What I love about that story in the Bible is that the people who do the, like, dating of biblical stories are pretty sure it was written, like, substantially later than the rest of Genesis and Exodus and stuff. Which means it was basically plugged in for people who were like, all right, so we got them here with, like, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then now they're in Egypt for Exodus, so, like, what happened? (laughs) And they had to write this as, like, the rogue one of the Bible. (laughs) That, that, that is an apt description. I, yeah. That gets my missionary stamp. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. So, Zipporah is leading her camel outside oh, yeah. the gate. <laughs> right. And Moses comes down. There's two guards that are about to catch her. So, Moses calls their attention, allowing Zipporah 
to escape. Uh, right, and he's, and like, distracting her. The guard's taking a while where she stops for a bit and is watching, like, oh, crap, I'm about to get caught. But it becomes clear that he's stalling for time to let her get out. And they make eye contact here again. And behind the guard's back, she sees her and they see eyes. So, like, it's fully, like, she's like, well, caught. And he's like, there's a man tied up in my room. You should go check on that man. I just fully think that there was a moment where the guards were like, oh, your highness. Are are you trying to (laughs) Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Thank you so much for trusting us with this. We're here for you, your highness. But so Zipporah then leaves, but he tries to run after her. He tries to go after her. Uh, Which is an interesting moment because it's clear that he's not trying to have her caught. So there's the question of what is he going for? Does he even know why he's going after her? Sex. (laughs) Yes. Again, missionary (laughs) stamp. And so he winds up being unsuccessful in catching her. Because he trips. But he meets Sandra Bullock and Jeff Goldblum. That's right. Playing the themselves. Classic, <laughs> the, classic fa- the classic Hollywood family, Val Kilmer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum. Mm. Dynasty. Jeff Goldblum is not acting in this movie. He has just walked into the room, read his lines as Jeff Goldblum, and left. There's one point when Moses has come back to Egypt to like free the Hebrews, and he like gets pushed into a pit. And he's having a rough day. And Jeff Goldblum is looking down on him and is just doing straight Jeff Goldblum with all the stuttering and the, mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> but yeah, so he meets them and that kicks into the whole, like, he's a Hebrew plot line. Right, because Sandra Bullock tells him yeah. that he's her brother. Which literally leads to one of the most intense dream sequences of my childhood. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And it's, like, sufficiently terrifying to yeah, a child, too. Dream sequence in Egyptian art with... Moses, like, realizing, uh, probably like a vision from God, Mm. the story of how he came to be in the Pharaoh's palace. My favorite part is when Moses' mother, fleeing, like, to get him to the river, runs across the The ceiling, ceiling. which is this, like, Uh. starscape. And so you see her literally escaping the Egyptian guards by fleeing across the stars, like, presumably with the aid of God. And it's really cool looking. But this whole thing... And then Patrick Stewart gives this whole speech about how he had them killed for the greater good because they were getting too numerous. When he gives that... That line when Moses is acting at him where he's just like, my son, they were only slaves. That whole scene is great. Patrick Stewart's and awesome in this movie. Everyone's Patrick awesome in this movie. Everything. Also, I feel like this moment is like Moses is like every millennial going back for Thanksgiving and realizing how horrible their conservative family is. <laughs> <laughs> and then being like, I gotta go to Target for something real quick. And then just sits in the parking lot and just is like three more days. And I think what's significant in all this is that kind of borrowing from the phrase that Miriam, Sandra Bullock uses, as he's leaving, Moses refers to the Pharaoh Seti as the man I once called father. Mm. But Mm -hmm. even to Mm. that point, he still talks to Ramses, referring to him as his brother. Mm. So he still feels that strong connection, which is what the movie is really about. It's about the two of them. That, That brotherly connection there and doing something because you know it's right. Not because it's easy. It does a really good job of bringing out the actual strength of the emotion between the two of them, which would have made what Moses had to do so difficult. Right. And that's something that gets brought in like during the whole plague sequence where he's asking God, like, why couldn't it have been someone else who had to do this? It's very compelling. That's a great song. Yeah. This movie's great. So are we at point number two? We are at point number two, The Secret Lives of Nomad. So a lot of things happen. 
And eventually... Thank you for not invoking bees on this podcast. We have spent enough time discussing bees. <laughs> it's like, bees? Hashtag bee facts. <laughs> Hashtag bee facts. That's right. It's been a while. But it has been a while. Send us some bee facts. Maybe for the one year anniversary, I'll figure out what all the hashtags were. So there are like eight in the Oscars episode. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot. So Moses kills an Egyptian to save an old Jewish slave and then he runs away. But this brings us to point number two, where he meets... Zipporah's family. That's right. Because he's like going through the desert and he basically is run ragged and collapses and he's gonna basically die in a sandstorm, which I kind of like. He has to, it's literally the symbolism. He's like running through, he's run to the end and he has to literally strip off what's Mm -hmm. left of his like Egyptian clothing, the jewelry that he has left. And then the sandstorm comes in. Except he keeps the ring, the ring that Ramses gave him when he made him chief architect again, unqualified, but. But he strips off all these like Egyptian heraldry the sandstorm comes in is sort of this cleansing wind almost and then he's left buried in the dirt until he's dug up by that camel he also takes off his wig which again never take off your wig unless you have another wig underneath (laughs) it's wigs all the way down (laughs) his old life is scoured away by the sandstorm and moses re-emerges to find no no he 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 grabs the camel oh and and he does ride with the camel for a while to a watering hole to a watering hole a well and that's where very important Biblically, the word well shows up so often in the Old Testament. That's true. It's there every verse. Only there for children to fall down. I mean, that's what Moses does here. So they get to the well and Moses scares off two dudes who are being obnoxious to a bunch of little girls. Not just obnoxious, they're stealing their camels. Right. Yeah, they're bad people. Yes, they are bad people. And so Moses... Gets them to run away by sending their camels Stealing to run away. their camels. Right. And then he's trying to look cool and he leans on the well, but the wall of the well falls and Moses falls in the well. So then the two little girls are... Three. Three little girls are trying to pull him out and Zipporah comes and they're like, there's a man in the well. She's like, oh, silly little children. And she looks down, sees it's Moses and immediately drops him back no, no, in the well. Even better, like she hears him and is like, I'll help, I'll help. And then she gets him to the top helping oh, the that, girls. Yeah. And then justifiably. Oh, yeah. Lets him go. Yeah. She's like, what? This guy drops him. Which leads to one of the best line of the movies. The, one of the little girls being like. That's why Papa says she'll never get married. Which, has this happened before? (laughs) Apparently. Every man she meets, she just drops down a well, and, you know, Jethro's getting kind of sick of it. It makes matchmaking really hard for him. But so he is hauled back up, and Jethro, the priest of Midian, welcomes Moses in, thanks him for having saving both Zipporah in Egypt and the daughters from the scoundrels. And... At the feast that night, Jethro announces that Moses is the guest of honor. And Zipporah is really surprised when Moses announces that he hasn't done anything that's worth Mm -hmm, celebrating. mm -hmm. Which kind of reflects the sense of isolation and the idea that he no longer belongs to his own past because of this identity reveal that happened to him. And she gives him a look. I'm very big on the looks here. Because that's all there is. They're really entire Their entire courtship is looks. It's looks and montages. It's all in. So Jethro responds to that statement by starting to sing a song, which takes us to the point that they are married. Like, okay. So, 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 so I like to point out that other than the initial dropping him back in a well, she is very gracious to somebody who was her owner very recently. Uh, She did not have to be, but she's kind of very much like, we're on my turf now. I don't have to be mean. 
and I won't. Because you're, you're, I'm giving you that chance to prove yourself. Which is the, the song that Joshua sings. Look through someone else, look through heaven's eyes, and see your worth. Like, beautiful, beautiful song. And then the montage and to then this song. We get the montage <laughs> of Moses learning how to live a Midian life and mm-hmm. becoming a shepherd and doing all that stuff. And then he one doesn't of the dance, I like about but that, then later... He doesn't. At the beginning, he does first, dance. One of the like, things I like is one of the first shots in the song of Moses sort of becoming one of the Midianites is them working together to raise a tent. Mm-hmm. They're all pulling on these ropes and it's really similar to... to the scenes of the Hebrews raising temples in Egypt except that this time they're doing it voluntarily. They're doing it together to build a community. And they're singing a song while they do it. Well, they sang a song in Egypt too but it was Deliver Us. Oh, I forgot about, yeah. I mean, beautiful song, terrible situation. Right. <laughs> God, the music in this movie is so good. It's great, and like, and like throughout this montage, there's it's you, it's very much put throwing her teaching him how to live this life, how to be a simple person. How right, to she's like teaching him to be everything. a shepherd, and at one point they're like leaning on each other, and then she pushes him away. And like like Mark said at the beginning, at the the party that was honoring him, he would not dance. Oh, I don't dance. But then by the end of the montage, she has a scarf. I, I love her scarf, where she just kind of like ropes him into the dance, and then that scarf is used to wet them. It is, and also also. I just would like to say that, of course, she, he's pulled into the dance in the moment in the song where he's saying, you must learn to join the dance. And I'm yeah. like, yes. <laughs> yep. And the dancing does, like, the first real indication that they're developing feelings more than just friendship is them dancing together. Yeah. Which smash cut into their wedding. <laughs> well, we got the silhouette of them talking to Jethro in the tent. And then their wedding. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that part always gets, because it looks like they're arguing with him, and it's like... No, they they're to telling con- him they're going to get yeah. married. and it looks... No, no, she has some very significant pointing right there. And I'm That's like, what she does. <laughs> she is a pointer. She gets her point oh, across. So they get married. That is the end of the second point. They're, they're at their wedding. So, as I've pointed out, this is about 30 minutes into the movie, I think. And hey, if we end it here, great rom-com, I'd say. <laughs> I fully just cut it. Because what every rom-com needs is a dose of slavery. And then a dose of no longer a slave driver. <laughs> who cares what's happening back there? He's got his wife. And presumably a son on the way who needs to be circumcised. This is true. <laughs> That's canon. Yeah. So like between point two and three, he gets the vision of the burning bush. Yeah. Actually, yes, between point two and three, he gets the vision of the burning bush. Which is awesomely done. It's so right. cool looking. Oh, gorgeous. One thing I liked is before he leaves to unknowingly meet God, she wakes up with animated bedhead, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> yeah. And um, he does say, I love you before he leaves. Yeah. Yes, and it's gorgeous. And it's a beautiful little yes. One of the cool things in The Burning Bush is I love the way they do the voice of God. They talk a lot about it. Some of those articles I was reading from before the movie came out. And it is Val Kilmer also doing the voice of God. They said they looked at a bunch of film adaptations of The Burning Bush. And they were like, we don't want to do the big booming voice. We want something else. They wanted something like personal. And so they looked at doing a combination of all the voices of people he cared about. Mm -hmm. Being like, that's kind of God in your life. Except what they got was a sound of like this ugly mix that sounded kind of like HAL 9000. (laughs) And the last thing you need is Hal telling you what to do. (laughs) And so instead they were like, the voice of God in your life sounds kind of like your own voice in your head. And so that's how they landed on doing the Val Kilmer thing. Yeah, it's really cool. And then he has to go back and he has to have the God-friended me conversation (laughs) with Zamora. Which is the third point, gotta get back to Egypt. Which which is him telling her, God-friended me. I've been called. (laughs) On this (laughs) this week on CBS. (laughs) I actually feel like I've seen that show already. (laughs) You watched this movie? the premiere 
It was so good. Like, I was the acting. Mm. I actually can't wait to watch it. Oh, it's going to be great. It's so ridiculous. By the time this episode comes out, that will have just premiered. (laughs) So go on CBS.com and let us know what you think. But anyway, so Moses gets the vision of the burning bush, and then he runs home, and the first thing he does is he wants to tell his wife about it. Of course, why wouldn't you? That's a big thing you should. And so he she starts telling her. And he's, like, like, really excited. He's very animated, and you see her sit down, like, kind of very much pulling back into herself, and you're like, ooh, obviously this is a big thing. Like, this is, like, a huge... Uh, where he's like, we have to go back to Egypt. And I, I actually really like this scene too, because like she's like, why does it have to be you? Yeah, she says you're just one man. Like, yeah, and he's like, look at your people, like, and and everyone that he's been with for this whole time with the Midians is right there in the background, just living their lives. And he's like, look at them, your people are free, and I basically want the same thing for my people. And so like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment where she's like, very much like, okay, I see why you gotta do this, and like, you're going, but not without me. For me, actually, I really like this part because it's kind of personal to how my parents became missionaries too. Not this movie necessarily, but it was very very much they were literally sitting in their basement once watching tv and like watching horrible things happen around the world i'm like just like a, i think it was like a news article about like people who actually go out to other countries and help people and they like looked at each other and kind of like do you think we could ever do that just like this little question that comes up and then sometime later they did so it, this it very much is kind of like this moment of two married people talking about where is our life going from here we've we've gotten this call do we answer it do we go or do we stay and they go so yeah. it's gore- it's beautiful. And, like, I-, I also like to put that, like, hey, for him, like, Egypt was cool and, like, he has some demons in his past now. But, like, overall, Egypt was great. For her, Egypt is, like, the worst place ever. She was a slave there. She It was not a good time for her. But because she loves him so much, because their romance is so strong, bringing it back here, <laughs> she goes with him. And thank goodness she does, because when God tries to kill him along the way, she's there she's to there save the day. She's ready for that foreskin. Guys, when God sends you a friend request, you have to click accept. Um... I'm pretty sure that, uh, at least in the six-minute trailer CBS put out, he has not accepted it. But God has started suggesting other friends for him as well. <laughs> if you haven't watched the Godfrey to be trailer, at least, like, it's an incredible film. <laughs> you could watch the, like, six-minute version that they show to advertisers. And that's basically the pilot. And all you need is in there. I still will be watching the full... Oh, we're watching the heck out of this. Oh, my God. All right, uh, that takes us to point four, right? Point yeah. four. Blood. So they go back to Egypt, and Moses is like, yo, Ramses, and Ramses is like, you're alive, I love you! And Moses is like, I killed the dude, and Ramses is like, no, you didn't. I'm basically a, g- a god. I'm the morning star. So I can and say, evening. <laughs> you never killed a guy. Both of the stars. And Moses is like, no, I did. Also, I'm not back here to stay. I just want you to <clears throat> let my people go. Valid request. And Ramses is like, nah. He holds on to things. Unlike Moses, who lets them go. <laughs> That's exactly right. So fourth point, Josh. Fourth, fourth point. point, blood. So this is basically like the, the you said I didn't I should shouldn't didn't have to mention the plays, because technically they're not a part of the romance. Correct. But if my boo thing starts turning water to blood and like starts raining down hail, I'm gonna have a few questions. Uh, I mean they So should... is this the fan fiction point where you just <laughs> imagine that they had a conversation about the plagues? <laughs> <laughs> Point me to a scene here. <laughs> the scene, the scene specifically, is the one where it's right after Moses gets hit into the mud, and they see Pharaoh on his pleasure boat. Great scene. And then he uh, he walks into the water, and everything starts turning. Ray finds great in this movie. Beautiful. He does an amazing job. He also, unlike most of the main actors, does his own singing. Why didn't Voldemort get any musical numbers? <laughs> now I want to know. I don't know. <laughs> it's what they should have done. 
I assume that when he inevitably turns up in Fantastic Beats 8 or something, <laughs> he will get a song and dance number. So barring Fantastic Beast 8, when the blood comes to the river, Zipporah is right there. So we're using her presence. Yes. Okay. And sometimes in relationships, that's all you got. All right. So she Moses turns the there. river to blood. And and uh, I'm using this also as a point. A beautiful, beautiful it scene. It's gorgeous When there's scene. that overhead shot of him holding the staff and, and the, the blood spreading outward outwards. as the guards oh. are moving towards him. It's a gorgeous, mm. gorgeous piece. And then the, they have the, the music starts playing as well, like coming in. They're like, this is. And then the horror sets in. This is blood. This movie does a really good job of mixing computer generated and traditional animation. And that like a lot more of it is computer generated than I remembered. But it looks really, really good. A lot of it, I don't think they could have done without the computers. And or certainly, it wouldn't it have looked, looked as good. Yeah. I feel like the whole dream sequence is pretty computer heavy. Yeah. According to the numbers I was reading in press releases and stuff from when it came out, only like 30 shots in this movie are not using computers in some element. That's amazing. It's a go- it, it, We keep saying it, but it's gorgeous. If you haven't watched this movie in a long time or if you've never seen it, it's worth watching just for the visuals. You forget how good it is. And it's on Netflix. And it's on Netflix, yeah. Um, so is that point number five then? Point number four is the plagues and literally just being there. Because there would have been a point like, you know, I can watch from the other side of the river, honey. And I'm so here. the last plague, but of course, stayed. is the Angel of Death, mm. which mm-hmm. is a brilliant sequence. Gorgeous. Again, it's the power of God represented by this like wispy whiteness, like with the burning bush. And there's no music at all. So it is... Not to, like, belabor a bad pun, which is not what I'm trying to go for, but, like, it is a breathtaking sequence where it's totally silent and you're just watching sort of the whoosh of this angel of death past the doors of the Israelites who have painted the blood over their doorframe and then go in and just silently taking the lives of these young Egyptian boys. And there's this, there's just, every time it does, there's just this exhalation. just. <sighs> and what I like is which that is- as much as this angel is an angel of deliverance for the Israelites. It is not portrayed as a jubilant thing. It is portrayed as a tragedy oh, that yes. everyone, including Moses, has had wished they could avoid. Even in like even the Jews who know that they will be safe from this are cowering during this scene, and it's terrible. I think the power of it is portrayed very mm-hmm. well, which leads us then to our, our fifth point, right? Our fifth point. So finally, uh, 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 it's called what that, what, uh, a new hope. <laughs> That's usually the fourth one. <laughs> I'm surprised you're admitting that. I don't think I've ever heard you say that. Acknowledge the <laughs> subtitle of the Star Wars Episode Four before. Every once in a while. Every once in a while, he's trapped into it. Yes. So a new hope. So after, of course, the Angel of Death comes through. Pharaoh is like Yo. distraught at the death of his he's son. Distraught at the death of his firstborn is like take your people and leave. And side note here: the security in the palace very lax. Like, I understand that there is death happening, but even before the death, Moses was in the palace a lot. How does Moses... Yeah, I was watching this the whole time and thinking, why is Moses just walking like, in? Like, I mean, like, if there's a radical revolutionary I feel like Moses trying knows, to take down my regime... He knows all the, like, secret passageways. He's got the, like, Egyptian temple marauders map because he lived there for so long. I just feel like somebody I mean, you look at the way he and Ramses lived at the beginning, and it's like, they definitely know some secret passageways. I think we also need to acknowledge, why was Ramses' son British? (laughs) I mean, his dad was Patrick Stewart. It's just that his son has a bad British accent. Yeah, it's just more noticeable, I guess. Like, all of them are British, but it's also just like, Father, Father, what is he doing here? It's the badness of the accent. Yeah. Played by, what was it, like, Johnny Motown? <laughs> <laughs> Not a joke. Bobby Motown is the man credited as Ramsey's son. Who is 
He only has two other credits. He's in Race to Witch Mountain and... The remake or the original? The original. And one episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So it's definitely a fake name, but I don't know what the deal is. Bobby Motown, <laughs> who definitely is not British. <laughs> so anyway, fifth point in here? Fifth a new point, hope? Fifth point. So they're leaving, and as they're leaving, Miriam and uh, Zipporah are singing this beautiful song, this beautiful, and uh, I feel like it's kind of, it's very much so this song of renewal of through our pain, we've, we've risen many nights we've prayed and hope and uh, not knowing if anyone can hear gorgeous. And uh, Miriam, obviously as one of the, uh, one of the Jews and one of the people who has instigated this change by trying to help Moses learn he was, is obviously should be leading. And then you have Zipporah who is technically an outsider, but as Moses' wife could have at any moment been like, I'm going to stand back. I'm going to let your people be here. But she decides these these people are my people now, and I'm going to be a part of this, and I'm going to help lead this hopeful, beautiful people out of this horrible place. And there's this one shot where uh, where she's kind of looking on as he's talking to people, and it, there's there's would be very easy to fall into that tr- if this were like a uh, not biblical story this were just a movie easy to fall in the trope of I feel left out these are his people not my people They're, he's trapped in his people and ignoring his husbandly duties but she instead is just like I'm here I'm here with you honey and we're gonna do this and when they finally do become free after the whole parting of the Red Sea which is an amazing beautiful sequence. scene when that's the, an incredible the fire sequence. comes down the whale, the whale silhouette is, and I love that like we get the sense that it takes the whole night so you get them with the torches mm-hmm. and the thunder and the whale silhouette it is just such this like incredible emotional climax after a string of them, starting when Aaron, Jeff Goldblum, becomes the first one to go through. Beautiful. The one who's been the most resistant to Moses. And then you get just that gorgeous sequence of them walking through the parted waves. And again, to say, like, just the soundtrack in the background, just the soft music as they walk. Oh, gorgeous. Point being, when they finally get across, it's Zipporah and, like, the waves are closed and the, the, the Egyptians are gone. It's Zipporah who is like, look at your people, Moses. They are free. And she's she's the one that says, kind of, we're here, honey. We've made it. Our, our LOL JK, 40 years later. <laughs> I know, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this movie ends so happy for a people that are about to experience 40 years of hardship and turmoil. Yeah, most okay. dies in the desert, okay, buddy. Okay. My favorite part of that is that the closing hopeful scene is Moses coming down. With the Ten with the ten so they're all worshiping a calf at the bottom of a mountain. Mark pointed that out. I had never thought of that. His brother is leading the people in blasphemous worship <laughs> as Moses is getting this triumphant final shot. Like, I want that story, like, just the next moment. I want Jeff Goldblum as Aaron <laughs> with the golden calf. Starting the religion of the golden calf. I can just see him being <laughs> like, watch that movie. I know what this looks like, Moses. But. But, 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 I was reading an interview with Stephen Schwartz from, like, years later, and he was saying that he wished they hadn't put in the Ten Commandments thing at all. Because he was saying, like, this is a story about two brothers. Mm. It's about Moses and Ramses. And the Ten Commandments is a different story. It's part of the story of them in the desert. And he was saying, like, the story really ends with them on opposite sides of the Red Sea. And then... Moses is able to move on with his people. But it is, like, kind of hard to avoid the hero shot of your guy with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if you want to be hopeful, this could be the second time he went up to get the Ten Commandments <laughs> and they were not worshipping a golden calf when he it. came back. I'm just saying, the fact that he broke them when he saw them, like, relatable. Like, <laughs> I did all of this <laughs> to get y'all out of there. Also, like, what do you want now? We're going to lug this golden cow around with us? <laughs> 
How long is he up there for? Like a month, right? Yeah. It was like a couple days. Like, it's, oh. a, it's a bit, but not Again, like... Catholic, don't read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's like another 30 or 40 day type thing where he's there it's for... It's like a while. <laughs> it's long enough where like people would get discontent, but not long Again, enough for a new religion to form. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was always confused by. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that like, if that were in... Like, something that happened now, it's the kind of thing that would, like, start as an elaborate joke and then run too far. It's a real producer's kind of situation. (laughs) Where Aaron's like, what if I could, like, really impress Moses when he gets back being like, I put down this weird cult that started springing up. So I'm just going to, like, low-key start a weird cult so I can put it down. And then he'll think really highly of me because I wasn't super nice to him back in Egypt. And then, like... 30 or 40 days later, he's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, this cult is a hit. <laughs> I would watch that Jeff Goldblum movie. Is there one with him in the cult? I don't know. I, don't I know. feel like... I mean, there's Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I feel like by getting so many great actors in this movie, you just want a spinoff of every character. <laughs> this is true. Because, yeah, they're all kind of playing the traditional themselves role. So it's like, oh, Except I want... Patrick Stewart is playing like the evil version of a traditional Patrick Stewart character. Which he's done before. Yeah, but like, I never get enough of it. In Shakespeare, yeah. I think he's played some of the villains. That's true. But it's still just like... I want to see this movie where Jeff Goldblum is Aaron. And it's like, oh, no, I just want to watch a Jeff Goldblum movie is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, this is a biblical story. <laughs> yes. But do we find the romance as portrayed in the movie believable? Because there's a montage, we are unclear. <laughs> the classic DreamWorks method. Unclear how much time has passed. So I'd say it's believable. I mean, we know Ramses did not have a kid when Moses left. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kid is like eight. I'm, hey, he could be going the Drake route, hiding from the world. <laughs> He's definitely been gone for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's a montage. You have to believe it. <laughs> There's no evidence that it wouldn't be believable. There is. Their, their relationship starts off rocky. But, I mean, he does help her escape he does so like there's some mitigating factors but like not really yeah so where would you rate well, she she only comes she only comes around after he completely changes his life though so. that's true that is true yeah, that like, is true literally everything about <laughs> everything <is> about itself <laughs> so where would you rate this on our 10 point scale josh i mean i'm biased in every way for this movie so 11 <laughs> is that allowed no it is not <laughs> too late mark you want to give us a real rating um i'm gonna go with like uh, eight? Seven right. or eight? Yeah, that, seems, that seven or eight feels about right to me. Yeah, there's no reason not to believe it. But you can't get away with doing most of it in montage. Yeah. We will not give you a good, a perfect score for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Do you think Moses and Zipporah are dateable? According to the movie, Zipporah is not. That's true. <laughs> we have textual evidence that Zipporah is not dateable. <laughs> That's why Papa says she'll never get married. I mean, Moses... Seems like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Midianite Moses. I mean, even Egyptian Moses. He was the lovable. He's always been the fun one. That's true. He's Prince Harry. He's the fun girl, so. These these are not references (laughs) I get, Josh. (laughs) Prince Harry. Harry Potter? Sure, Will. Prince Harry Potter. Okay, uh, but if you you had to pick one person to date in this movie, who would it be? Aaron. (laughs) Explain. It's Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Miriam. It's Sandra Bullock. <laughs> I think I'm also Miriam. I think she's uh she's great. She's very confident, even when she's in rough situations. She's a cool leader of people. She does not back down, even when 
Aaron is like, oh, we're all going to die here. Like, right. When he was, like, begging for forgiveness. And she, she's, like, she's mm. trusting, but she's not a fool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She also immediately accepts Zipporah because those two become best friends very fast. Oh, yes. sure. Best friends. Why have we... <laughs> That's what they are. The eye contact the two of them make is too prolonged and too significant. As someone who was watching this movie for looks, that was a look. That look was, like, all there is to it. I mean, we did our Princess Diaries episode. Neither of you guys was on it. But the Princess Diaries episode, we talked a lot about romance based entirely on looks. And (laughs) Miriam and Zipporah have some looks that put Mia and Michael so far to shame. Do you guys think Moses and Zipporah would stay together? Uh, As long as Miriam stays out of the way. I mean, like, biblically, yes. Yeah, all right. And also in the context of this movie. Yeah, I don't... Yes. They seem pretty happy. Yeah. I'm on board. She's done a lot for him. Yeah, she saved his life. Yeah, she stopped God from killing him. (laughs) So I think that does it for this movie. We gotta stop now before we get struck down by lightning. (laughs) Yeah. If it hasn't happened yet. So, Will. Oh, yes. What um, time is it? It is time for another hashtag PD summary. Brought to us by listener Rachel R. Uh, as a reminder, in last week's installment, we discussed Princess in Love, in which Mia was dating her lab partner, Kenny, but she wasn't into him. But he had been doing her homework for a long time, and she felt like she should because he had been sending her love notes. Then, Mia's friend Tina, the daughter of an oil sheik, which I will always mention when introducing Tina, Tina had Mia send anonymous love letters to Michael because taking the fact that Kenny's love letters had worked meant, look, anonymous love letters work so then mia then also was starting to get anonymous yellow roses from boris who i think is lily's boyfriend and yellow roses we learned are the color of complete passion although mark looked it up and said that they meant like friendship (laughs) meanwhile michael designed a flash video to tell mia that he was in love with her because again early 2000s and they made out at the christmas dance then we found out that lily had been manipulating mia and michael because she knew they were in love with each other and just wanted to see how long it would take them to do anything about it and the book ended with mia on her way to genovia for christmas to spend the holidays there for her first visit so that brings us to the fourth book in the series princess in waiting again these are from uh from rachel this one is not my favorite (laughs) it starts out with mia in genovia where she installs parking meters which turns into this whole hullabaloo but also ends up being a wise policy choice in the end she's really annoyed about the time difference between genovia and the east coast because she wants to talk to michael but then when she gets home she gets all wrapped up in this dumb does he love me or is he in love with me dilemma that we learned by the end of the book if not from general life experience could have been easily solved by just talking to him but she spends a lot of the book worried he's gonna break up with her because her princess duties take so much time there's this big black and white ball that she has to go to on the night she and michael were supposed to go to a dinner showing of star wars empire strikes back i believe but i could be wrong definitely original trilogy but in the only good part of the book he sets up the whole other date for her at his house with the movie on dvd and veggie burgers and we discover that the reason he's been so shady recently is that he's planning all of this and then she asks him if he loves her or if he's in love with her and he's all like don't be dumb i'm in love with you and they make out mia also had been on this spiral of i have no deep talent which she brings up to michael during the date and he says yes you do you're a writer she thus discovers that she's gone from using the diary as a coping mechanism to writing it because she likes to write and she starts to think of herself as a writer also she comes up with a name for his band which also includes boris and some other random people the band will be called skinner box 
Quote, because your dog is named Pavlov. This may seem insignificant, but I would argue that these books don't get enough credit for demonstrating that girls can care about things like boyfriends and nail painting and clothes, as well as things like Star Wars and psychological conditioning. <laughs> also, you can be a female nerd, but be more inclined towards humanities than science. It flaunted a lot of stereotypes. I think this also might be the book where they air a Lifetime movie based on Mia's life. <laughs> this part is hilarious because the movie of Mia's life being referenced in the books is clearly the Princess Diaries movie, so we get to see Mia's commentary on it. The dad is inexplicably dead. The grandmother is lovable, which Mia hates because grandmother sucks, and Mia and Michael end up together in that movie too. Also, Tina isn't in the movie because her dad, the oil sheik, was worried that might inspire other oil sheiks to kidnap her. Mia liked the movie, but found it unrealistic. She also is upset she didn't get an amazing makeover like the Mia in the movie. Getting metatextual up in here. So, this weekend, Lady Gaga joins an established pantheon oh boy. of gay icons that have come before her by taking on the lead role in Bradley Cooper's A Star is Born. I am fully on the hype train for this movie. So to stay topical, we're going to explore one of the previous iterations of this. We're not going to do the Judy Garland version because I've seen that one, but we're going to watch the 1976 version that stars Barbara Streisand that was described by Paul Mavis as uh, an unmitigated disaster that has the megalomaniac fingerprints of Barbara Streisand and her hairdresser-producer boyfriend, John Peters, all over it. That sounds amazing. (laughs) So get ready for 1976's A Star is Born. We are far from the shallows now, folks. All right. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you should email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show so that other people can help find us. All right. Last question. Josh, you're going to start us off. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? When at all possible, always date in montages. It always ends in marriage. (laughs) I guess dance? That seems to lead directly to their marriage. That's true. Yeah, there's a real cause-effect relationship there. I was going to say, since Josh is redefining what a romantic scene means, I was going to say, if the person you're interested in asks you to stand nearby while they turn a river into blood, do it. Fair enough. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. prince of Egypt Son of the proud history that shone Had stunned everyone Surely this is all I ever wanted